episode 28, which, incidentally, is how old I turned this month. No, it's not. We, Matt, you already revealed on last week's... Did I? On, yeah. last, on the last show how old you were. Yeah, well, you know. You can't go back on that I've now. definitely been 28 for ages. About 12 years. Yeah, for so. a whole year. Yep. Um, now, before we start the show, we found mm. a new gin this week. Uh, you were given... This was for your birthday. Yes, I was given it by a good friend of mine called Hal Branson. Yes, and it's called Cruxland. Cruxland gin, yes. It's South African. It's fascinating. It's made with truffles. Yeah. So it's a little bit more luxurious yeah. than a normal gin. Let's have a, let's have a little sniff of it. That is a complex smelling gin. It is. Mad, isn't it? I don't know how to describe it. <laughs> it's, the alcohol's definitely yeah. very pungent in it. It's only forty three percent though. Yeah, but it's got a, it's it's got a right tang. It's like eye watery. Yes. Uh, well, give it a taste, neat. See what you think. Can you taste truffles? Licorice. Very sweet. Ah. Uh, the truffles coming afterwards. I've got truffle. I mean, I'll be honest. Never had a calamari truffle before. Weirdly. What's a calamari truffle? Calamari truffle. I don't know. That it sounds a like you from it. Sounds like calamari. Not not calamari. The Kalahari. <laughs> a cal, yeah, a squid truffle. <laughs> All right. So this is a Kalahari truffle. A Kalahari, not calamari. Yes. Right. Um, yep. Uh, well, I've never had a Kalahari truffle. I've never had. To be honest. But I'm you've very had a truffle. Does it taste like a truffle? No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't taste like that. It's got. A, it's got. Uh, it's earthy. Very mm. earthy. So that's probably where it is. But, I mean, it's very, very nice. Mm, delicious taste, yeah. Let's try it. I'm, I'm doing a terrible job of describing this gin. Yeah. Um, a little bit of tongue Just going to have to trust Because it's oily. It's got, like, a, it's a heavy gin. It coats the tongue. Mm. And um, it's peppery. It's got a lovely pepper pepper aftertaste to it, which is, which is a delicious thing. Now, I've paired this with, um, because it's quite heavily botanical, I've paired it with something, because it's very, uh, it's very, uh, what's the word? If you know what I mean. No. Where you go, where you go suck you. No, uh, where, where, not at all. To get the flavour, you've got to suck it. Give it a bit of... If you, you know what I mean? Yeah. No. Uh, if you suck a lot of air through, you, get, you can get the flavours better. Uh, uh, right. This is the least coherent gin tasting we've, we've ever done. Here we go. Oh, it's like the smell of sand. Like perhaps... It is like... You know, if you get a handful of sand... Yeah. It tastes like that. And you sniff it. Mm-hmm. You've never smelled sand before? No, I've never sniffed sand. Well, that's a crazy thing. Right, this has gone weird. Anyway, we highly recommend Croxlands. Is it Croxlands or Croxlands? Oh, wow. <laughs> Croxlands. Croxlands. And Kalahari truffles. Yeah. So, yeah. And it would make a great present because it's got this cool... Leather strap. Leather strap the, on it. To keep the already screwed on top on. Yeah, it's kind of decorative, really. It's beautiful. Well, I mean, high, highly recommended. Yeah, it's um, beautiful. And we also tried another one in Phoenix this week, which was called... Hexam Gin. Hexam Gin. That was very tasty as well. That was a local one to northeast England, and it was really interesting. It was very licorice which gave it this real sweetness to it. Um, now the chap there, he combined that with some interesting garnishes. He chose thyme and uh, orange zest, mm -hmm. as well as celery. Now I declined the celery because I hate celery, but with the thyme and the orange zest, just neat. Absolutely beautiful, really good sipping 
gin because of the sweetness that, yeah. that came from licorice. And then he put a tonic in it. Can you remember what the tonic yes, was? Yes, it was the uh, Artisan Drinks Company lemon so tonic. So it was, yeah. Uh, so it's got a salt, it's, it's a saltiness to it as well. And he called it Fog on the Tain because it made it go off. Foggy, yes. Yeah. And that was absolutely gorgeous. Now, we've talked about licorice before. Neither is a big licorice fans, but it just really worked yeah, I mean, in this gin. Yeah, it did, because it's got the tangy aftertaste of the alcohol as well. Yeah. I mean, licorice on itself is the devil's work, as everyone knows. Mm. Uh, it's not It's not for eating. It's for literally uh, sitting in the bottom of a pack of sweets that uh, someone else has got you and rotting. Yes. But uh, don't let that put you off, because this was exquisite. So, um, Hexam Gin... Find a bottle. Mm. <laughs> Hexam gin. Find a bottle. That's the new tagline. I'm no, going to write to them. <laughs> Hexam gin. Find, find a, a bottle. bottle. Yeah, you should be that assertive about it as yeah. well. So a couple of recommendations for you there. Now, on this week's show, we're going to be talking all about influencers, aren't we? Yes. But not in the way that you might think. Yeah, not like Kardashians. Not like that horribleness. No, but kind of from history. L'histoire, some From l'histoire. Uh, you're French. Yes, people who have had massive influence on gin in general. Yeah. We're also going to have an interview with Eden Mill. Yes. Uh, I, I caught up with them at the Gin Tasting Awards of Meet the Winners. Yes. So, brief interview with them and, of course, all the latest gin news. So, pour your drinks. Use your ears. Relax in a chair. <laughs> And or a bath. Doesn't matter. Hey, just as long as the, as long as this reaches your ears. <laughs> okay. We have recorded this first segment about fifteen times. Oh. And it's still messy. So uh we're gonna leave it there. Uh, we'll yeah, go straight to the show. I'll do. <laughs> Before we start this segment, Matthew, do you want to tell us what you're drinking? It's a very interesting golden, yellowy kind of greeny colour. Well, it is gin, obvs, and uh, it, but it's I've mixed it with Fenton's botanical tonic water, which oh, is really nice. It is a very so good tonic water. Good. It is, it's like that's a that's a separate drink itself, but it makes your gin taste nice. And we've got a special gin. I got a gin for my birthday off one of my uh, one of my regular one of my regular punters at the comedy, Paul. Uh, thanks for that, mate. Appreciate that. Uh, and it was it was a tankeray that I've never tried before. Mm. Malacca. Ah, it's a tankeray malacca. Now I was certain the word malacca was a swear word in Greek. Oh, okay. If if we have any people who speak Greek who are listening, is malacca a swear word in Greek? And if it is, this episode's going to sound hilarious. Yeah. What are you drinking? Malacca. <laughs> He's drinking a wanker. Yeah. I, th- I think it's something along those lines. Okay. Like, oh, what a taste or something like All that. All right. So um, it's it's delicious. It's absolutely lovely. It's got it? a, it's got a lovely. Like, uh, it's spiced but uh, smooth and sweet at the same time. Oh, like yeah. interesting. Yes, it's uh, everything everything a gin should be. Mm, indeed. It's a very tasty gin. It's very good. Uh, and tank is always good quality gin. Isn't it? Oh yeah, you can't go wrong with tank. You can't go wrong with a tank. Again, you could make your own jokes out of that. One. Yes. Yes. So now then, this episode, what we're going to talk about is gin fluencing. Yes. Now, 
on Instagram, you'll see hashtags of Ginfluencer and stuff like that. There's a lot of people. We've got a lot of friends who do it. We do it. I think we use that hashtag. Yeah, yeah, we do it as well. Yep. Yeah. Ginfluencer really basically means like uh, the, the the help like promote what their favourite gins yes. are. Yes. And it's a it's a worthwhile tag. Mm-hmm. We we look it up now and again just to see if there's any nice gins out. But that's a more modern word for people who are involved in the gin world. Yes. See, it it didn't it, it didn't exist back in the day when gin was first coming out. So, who would you say are the real gin influencers? Well, I have put together a bit of a hall of fame of who some of the the key players are in the history of gin, right from the beginning all the way through to the present day. Now, you might dispute this, but after we finish this segment, if you, Matthew, or if any of our listeners want to... Uh, add or detract add from or this detract, list. Yes. If you want to detract, come at us, I'll bring you. Yeah. You're going to see some familiar faces in here. Mm-hmm. People who we've talked about in previous shows. But in every case here, we're going to take a closer look at their lives and the impact that they've had on the gin industry and what goes into our glass. Mm-hmm. And what better place to start than at the very beginning? How far? Well, I mean like year one okay. AD. So no Facebook. Definitely no Just Facebook. Just MySpace. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Back to the days of MySpace. Good God, year when, one. <laughs> yeah. And one of the main teletext dating apps. Yeah, and let's go back to ancient Egypt to meet the mother of alchemy, Mary the Jewess, also known as Maria the Jewess or mm-hmm. Mary the Prophetess, mm-hmm. and she really started it all off. She is the influencer of all influencers. Don't really know what she looked like. There's a 1617 engraving of her in which she appears with a pensive expression on her face, pointing at some alchemical miracle she's just performed. She's all draped in robes and wearing this modest bonnet, looking like the every inch the sage okay. that she was. A little wizardy. Yeah, a bit very wizardy. Yeah, yeah. Um, and as modern civilization dawned, humans became absolutely fascinated with this this idea of transformation. So that is taking physical substances apart, right down to their molecular level, fusing them with other substances, and then turning them into something new, something purer, something divine even. It was very closely associated with not just science, but also philosophy, religion, and symbolizing a kind of spiritual purification as well as a chemical purification so like i must be mad that back then where like science was in its infancy finding a substance like i don't know magnesium say you dug some up Mm. and you put it in water and it exploded can you imagine like what kind of how much that would blow your mind yeah and people would attribute these kind of sort of mystical and magical attributes to these various chemicals that they were experimenting with and certainly when spirits were first distilled from wine or other substances. They were seen as this kind of really, really magical thing. And Maria was the first true alchemist of the the Western world. She invented several kinds of chemical apparatus and wrote extensively on the topic of alchemy. Now, the sad thing is none of her writings have actually survived, but luckily other great thinkers that followed shortly after her in the sort of the few centuries after she was uh, writing and experimenting, they, 
immortalise her ideas in their own writing. So she got she got the nod though of them. Did she, she? Oh, she absolutely got the nod. It's very yeah. rare of men of that time. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and that's that's one of the great things about her that she was a prominent female scientist. And unfortunately, we wouldn't see female scientists having such opportunities until many years later. People mm-hmm. like Marie Curie, yep. because you know, unfortunately, women weren't often weren't granted the same opportunities to do things like. Experiment and the, it's not like if even if they did, it's not like they would have been listened to. I imagine there's a lot of men, Indeed, a lot yeah. of men taking a lot of credit for uh, a lot of things they didn't do. Yes, absolutely. But one of the, but one person who you certainly couldn't say that about was Zosimos of Panopolis, and he was. A, oh, I would never even try to say his name, let alone, <laughs> let alone slander him. <laughs> Um, he was a kind of mystic in around about the 4th century and his writings credit her with the invention or at least the first description of something called the tribikos which was a kind of three-armed alembic in which substance could be purified by, you guessed it, distillation. Mm. So according to Zosimos, uh, Maria... Such a good name. Isn't it? It's wonderful. Uh, Maria um, recommended that this alembic should be made of copper or mm. bronze. Yeah, and yeah. Um, this apparatus is still used in chemistry today. It's known as the Bain-Marie or Mary's Bath. And as we know, copper is still the material of choice in distillation mm. of spirits. Now, little else is known about Maria's life, but she certainly laid the foundation for the creation of spirits, initially for medicine and then later, obviously, as as recreational drink and what is in your glass today. Mm-hmm. So we certainly couldn't talk about ginfluencers without... Yeah, uh, she, uh, she literally caused distillation. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty good. So is Mary's bath a nod to her? Yes, it is, yeah. It is? That's good. Absolutely. Now, from a prophetess to a king we go and so let's talk about William of Orange Mm -hmm. also known as William III of England William II of Scotland or King Billy as he's known in Northern Ireland now William's a character who attracts very mixed feelings there's a gin called King Billy Gin right yes I it's uh, it's a lovely lovely label have you tried it on top of horse I have not no I've never seen it uh, in the bars I don't know where I haven't either I'm pretty sure we can get it in uh, Continental I'll I'll ask they've they've got like 400 gins they won't not have it yeah yeah I'd like to try that so William is um, famous for his victory at the Battle of the Boyne Mm -hmm. in Ireland, which helped strengthen the presence of Protestantism in Northern Ireland. And um, he's also credited with laying the foundations of the gin craze, which would reach its... The gin craze reached its peak... 40 years after he died, but mm-hmm. he is certain, was certainly hugely instrumental in popularising gin in the UK. Now, he was from Holland. He came over from Holland, and as we know, Holland was... Yeah, the home of Geneva. Yes, indeed. And now, according to the Belfast Telegraph, drinking Geneva became an act of loyalty to the king yeah. in England. Holland was a Protestant country, and so Geneva, which later morphed into gin over in England, was seen as a Protestant drink, in contrast to French brandy, which was associated with Catholicism. Christ, we'll just link anything to anything, wouldn't we? <laughs> Yeah. It's mad. Yeah. Oh, what are you drinking there? Oh, pretty Protestant. Yeah. yeah, but you know, talking about gym influencers and that kind of thing, and um, you know, these days we see influencers on Instagram wearing Yeezys or wearing a certain brand, and we think, right, you know, if that that 
carries a certain kudos. I'll show my loyalty. Yeah, uh-huh. And and similarly with, with the king, the ultimate influencer yeah, at, at yeah. the time. Um, and to further discourage brandy drinking, William of Orange imposed high taxes on French produce. And the British obviously weren't grape growers. We can grow our own grapes to make brandy or wine. Mm-hmm. But what did we grow in this country? Grain. Grain. Yeah, for grain spirit. Yes, we did. For that reason, grain became the base ingredient of choice and grain spirit began to rise in popularity. Of course, in Britain, we also grow juniper indigenously. Mm-hmm. So um, these made conditions perfect for uh, gin to flourish. Yeah. It's kind of um, a little poignant to think that gin, gin's popularity arose out of a kind of sectarian conflict. Yeah. You know, especially as gin is kind of known for sort of camaraderie and yeah. bringing people together today. Mm-hmm. Um, to and think- common people down at the end of the night. Yeah, too much Because <laughs> let's be honest, the sectarianism is like definitely not for that. No. <laughs> but we had to mention the guy, certainly. Yeah, got a good mention. Yeah, and... Interestingly, before we move on to our next gin influencer, I just wanted to give you a, a fast fact. Gin fact. Gin fact. Um, New York City was briefly renamed New Orange after King William in 1673. Hey, it's the Big Apple, well, I think you'll find. Big Orange. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it had originally been named New York in 1665 by the British, but then it was recaptured by the Dutch and they changed their name. In honour of their Dutch-born King William. So, if William of Orange made gin the drink of kings, Mm -hmm. it was another William who transformed it into the drink of beggars. He's kind of reverse gin influencer, isn't he? He is a kind yeah. of reverse yeah. influencer. He, someone hit the hit the heights of uh, the aristocracy, and now it's back. So you know who we're talking about? Yes, uh, that'll be uh, old Billy Hogarth. Billy Hogarth, yeah, yeah. William Hogarth was, as you say, that's a perfect description of him. He was the reverse influencer. Mm-hmm. A slanderer, a, some might you say. You could call it him a slanderer, mm. yeah. So let's talk a bit about him and Filthy his life. Filthy-mouthed Hogarth, <laughs> talking smack about gin. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> jive talking about gin. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have cupped him around the ear. So Hogarth was born in 1697. He was... Wouldn't dare. Sounds like an idiot year to be born. <laughs> Um, as we know, he was a painter, mm-hmm. he was a satirist, a printmaker and a cartoonist. And though he would come to prominence as one of the most influential satirists of the time, he wasn't born into great riches. He was um, His father was a teacher and actually spent time in uh, debtor's prison. Mm. So it, it's thought that his father's time in prison did influence to some extent the kind of grittiness of... Hogarth's work Mm -hmm. and how he was kind of fascinated with the kind of decline or moral decline of London. So he blamed his dad? No, he didn't. No, he didn't blame his dad. But I think he was just very interested in... The dark side. Yeah, and so how society influenced us and our behaviours and I guess the difficulties that people faced in a London where things were kind of not great, really. Mm. He started out as an engraver and he learned the craft uh, during his time as an apprentice. Uh, but he was absolutely fascinated with London life, even as a child. He was a real people watcher and he'd go to kind of fairs and events and just sit and watch people and sketch them. Mm. 
And this led to him turning his hand to satirical painting. So in 1731, he completed the first of what became known as his moral works. And this one was called A Harlot's Progress. So it was a series of six paintings and later a series of engravings which charts the life of a country girl who comes to London, kind of gets embroiled in prostitution and ends up dying of venereal disease as a result. Judgy little prick, wasn't he? Well, yeah, he kind of was. So, oh, I'm sorry, my whose dad went to prison? I'd bully him like that. I go, oh yeah, here's one for you, mate. It's, it's a annoying little prick whose dad went to prison. <laughs> uh, what do you think of that? Eh? Uh, you like that? I bet he'd take a mood. Yeah, I bet he'd have a go at us. He would. Um, so this series, it was about a woman called Molly. That was his principal character, and she, so she comes to London from the countryside, and she's taken in by a wealthy Jewish merchant, but has a secret lover on the side, and eventually pays the price the ultimate price for her promiscuity and in this depiction of the wealthy merchant he's got a um, a west african servant boy mm-hmm. um he also has a pet monkey and it hints at the kind of exploitative excesses of colonial britain mm. you know slavery and um, going to other countries and just you know taking uh, you know a wild animal and and, and keeping it as a pet mm. in a way it was a a kind of a damning indictment of of Britain's colonial activity. Okay, fair mm. enough. But the fact that he chose to show the merchant as Jewish, and also the the kind of the cruel fate of the female protagonist, are a little bit problematic because it kind of falls back on the the stereotypes really yeah. of, of of Jewish people. Was he people. a seventies club comic? Yeah, it is. It is all a bit kind of uh, Bernard Manning, <laughs> isn't it? Hawkeye Manning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, all right. Where, where are you going? For a piss in the gutter? Yeah, exa- exactly. <laughs> My mother-in-law d- died of dysentery. <laughs> yeah. I was happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, And this kind of moralistic lamenting of the crumbling London society car- was carried through in all of his works, and most notably of which was, of course, Gin Lane, where he depicts this gin-drinking woman, is a woman. terrible mother, yet a woman again, yep. dropping her baby, syphilitic old hag, no dignity and just only caring about this gin bottle in her hand. I mean, anti-gin sentiment was pretty rife at the time, so you could say that he was already channeling the kind of zeitgeist and um, general feeling towards gin at the time, but he was an influential artist. Yeah, and well, drinks always uh, drinks... If you think of some sort of shambling hobo now, yeah, you think of him drinking, and you think of a certain drink. I mean, you, you certainly won't think of a a Pinot Grigio, will you? Or no, you'll think of Frosty Jacks, White Lightning, uh, White Lightning, exactly. Yeah, or Mad Dog Twenty Twenty, yes. something like that. So at the time, it would have been gin. It would have been gin at the time. Obviously. Yeah, but then, you know, he certainly propagated that. And by this point in his life, Hogarth was becoming very rich. And in 1757, which was a few years after Gin Lane, he was appointed as sergeant painter to the king. Now, this was a really lucrative position. Um, it involved painting the king's palaces, his carriages, barges and other kind of decorative work. Mm. So it brought in around a thousand pound a year. Now I put this into the into a, a money converter to see what that would be now and it's about a hundred grand a year. Oh sorry, no. Yeah, so quite the departure from his humble beginnings. Certainly. I wonder if he gave gave his poor old dad any of that cash. Yeah, he probably just painted them judgily. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, dad remember when he didn't get us that toy? I can afford it now. Yeah. 
Here's my dad being all poor <laughs> yeah. and not buying me a toy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Prick. Yeah. Um, and interestingly, Hogarth later lobbied Parliament demanding more control be given to artists over the reproduction of their work. So this led to the implementation of some of the earliest copyright laws in Britain. Okay, so that's Hogarth. Now let's leap forward about 250 years now. Flux capacity used. Yes. Now we're at the beginning of the 21st century and a few big gin brands dominate the UK market. We know we've got Gordon's, we've got Beefeater. Mm-hmm. But let's meet some of the characters who paved the way for the craft gin revolution to really take off. Yes. One day at a party in the Beefeater Negroni bar, lifelong friends Fairfax Hall and mm-hmm. Sam Goldsworthy sat down with mm. distiller Jared Brown. Good old Sam. Yes, we've interviewed Sam we on this indeed. show. So uh, as you know, Matt, and many of you out there will know, these three chaps are the founders of Sipsmiths. Yeah. And they discussed at length how they might bring London dry gin, made the way it used to be made, and the way they believed it should be made back to the city where where it it was yeah, essentially where, where created. It was named, yes, yeah, so. absolutely. And I'm going to talk mainly about Jared Brown because we've interviewed Sam, so we know a lot about yeah, Sam. We've heard about Fairfax. Yeah, we've I heard all that was about a real Fairfax. Human being. Yeah, um, but Jared, he's the the head distiller, and so after this meeting, he went away and poured through all his history books, digging out old gin recipes, some from the 17th century, some from the Victorian era, some very much still in use, and he was determined to create a really classic London dry that was built on traditional methods but would also appeal to the modern drinker and I mean he certainly succeeded in that we mm. were drinking Sipsmiths the other day by hell but by blinking heck it's amazing good amazing that gin is such a good gin so in their recipe they use 10 classic botanicals and it's created in a traditional copper pot still Thank you, Maria the Jewess. Um, that was the first of its kind in London for 200 years. Okay, so they, they did uh, stuff to make sure that that happened, didn't they? Yes, they did. They absolutely did. Um, now, Brown's first commercial distilling job was actually over in the States in the Bardenay Micro Distillery Restaurant in Idaho. And this was back in the late 1990s. And he initially attended as a customer. But according to Liquor.com, he asked so many questions of the waiter when he was there. He was so passionate about it that the waiter brought the founder, Kevin, over to the table and introduced him. Kevin. Uh, Yeah. It's a historical name, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Fairfax, Jared. Kevin. Kevin. <laughs> Good on you, Kev. Yeah. Good on you. But he and Kev sat talking for hours. And when Brown mentioned that he'd written a book entitled Shaken Not Stirred, A Celebration of the Martini, Kevin ran over to the bar and pulled out a dog-eared copy, which had been instrumental in his yeah. own bar strategy. So as a result, Brown was invited to get involved in the business. What a, what a weird coincidence. Yeah, isn't it? And so then began this period of great experimentation. Brown would go down to the local grocery store and pick out all kinds of weird and wonderful botanicals which he would then use in the recipes. Eventually he came over to London, this was now in 2006, and set out to make an old Tom gin and sadly, or you could say fortuitously because it eventually led to the founding of Sipsmiths, that old Tom never went into commercial production. What, like a bottle of that or He's still got a couple of bottles, apparently, on his, in his cupboard. But uh, Hey, Jared. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't man a taste of your old Tom. That sounds rude. Uh, but Jared, 
would very much like to taste your yeah, uh, original on. creation. Give us just a little just taste. Just give us a little, little tiny taste. Just a tiny taste. We sound like crackheads. Yeah, we do. Go on, man. I'll do anything <laughs> for a taste, man. Just a taste. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously. Seriously, no. we would do yeah, anything. Jared, yeah, Jared Brown. Yeah. yeah, anything. Yeah. To a degree, obviously. <laughs> so, and he says that this old Tom never actually got made because no one was really interested in gin at the time. <gasps> And this is 2006. I'm sorry for our ignorance, Joe. I know, absolutely. Um, but then he met Goldsworthy and Hall at this party and um, they'd already put tons of legwork into, as you mentioned, changing yeah, the licence laws, laws to enable small batch distilling to, to start happening again. Mm-hmm. So three years later, in March 2009, the first batch of Sipsmiths went into production mm-hmm. and... As we know, the rest is history. Yeah, it was fun uh, when they said they used to go out on the bikes to deliver it to all. To deliver it, it yeah. Deliver it all themselves. It's brilliant, that. Yeah, so, I mean, imagine the brands that they were up against at the time. It must have seemed like a crazy uphill struggle. I'd say, I'd say uh, oh, I've made this cola forever drink. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, do you want to try it? Yeah, <laughs> no, we're all right. We've, we've, we've got loads of cola-flavoured Coca-Cola and Pepsi. But it does all come down to the quality of the product and reading about the passion that he had, you know, just walking into a restaurant and being so passionate. Yeah, the way it was just like, do you know what, I'm not dealing with you anymore. (laughs) Good on you for being a pest, Jared. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) And then Goldsworthy and Hall, having put so much effort into changing the law and and you can just taste all that passion in Sipsmith's gin and and I really love that. Now, meanwhile, um, one Leslie Gracie was getting a revolutionary new gin recipe off the ground up in Scotland. So Leslie had first crafted her recipe in 1999, lending her apparently very finely tuned nose to an innovative blend of cucumber and rose and other botanicals that would become one of the most iconic gin brands now in the world. Hendrix. It was indeed Hendrix. Now, Leslie Gracie was born in Yorkshire and was always fascinated with botanical flavours. According to 31dover.com, at the age of four, she began serving her family teas brewed with, like, plants and twigs from the garden. Oh, God, what a pest you must have been. Oh, but... Leslie. It's cute, I, but I'd be like, oh, honestly. Oh, she's gorgeous. Has she got another cup of mud? Yeah, oh, am <laughs> I going to have to pretend to taste it? Yep, you are. Oh, <laughs> for God's sake. Well, I mean, we jest, but it paid off because... She eventually went on to get a degree in chemistry from London's Royal Society of Chemistry. And what's interesting is she was working with a pharmaceutical company and developing drugs for pain relief for those suffering from arthritis. And what she said was that some of them tasted really, really horrible. Mm-hmm. And she was determined oh, to... What a cute thing to do. Yeah, uh, that's absolutely. And really nice. um, she was talking to the Rob Report and said, you know, she worked really hard to create ways to make them more palatable. But it wasn't until 1988 that she joined William Grant, the distillery that makes Glenfiddich whiskey. Mm -hmm. And she'd been there for 10 years before the then chairman asked her to work on a new gin recipe with him, inspired by the idea of eating cucumber sandwiches in an English garden. So she carefully went about selecting 11 botanicals and additionally... Uh, adding essence of cucumber and rose and it took no fewer than 21 trial distillations to perfect the recipe but I mean they certainly cracked it with Hendrix. I'd like to have tasted some of the uh, earlier incantations. Yeah me too. If you've got any of them uh, Leslie Gracie would be very interested to try. Yeah 
God, That'd be yeah. a good interview, testing all of them. Wouldn't it? I wonder mm. if we could get Leslie Gracie on. Let's get Leslie Gracie. Leslie Gracie, shout out to Leslie Gracie if everyone could, if anyone knows her in the gin world. I'm pretty sure somebody out there will. Yeah. Uh, let her know that we wish to speak to her. Because she sounds absolutely she sounds wonderful. Rad. Yeah, and she's still there. She's still the brains behind the brand. Um, she's one of only four people. Who knows the really? precise recipe for Hendrix? Oh, is yeah. like that the whole secret of quarter corner yeah. and KFC, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. Crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously she's uh, she's been a huge influence on the gin industry because, as we know, Hendrix was one of the... Yeah, but it's pioneering the, the gin boom, isn't yeah. it? That's what made people... Oh, actually, gin doesn't all taste the same, yeah? Yeah. So there ends our selected Hall of Fame of... Yeah influences past and present well done for influencing the entire world to drink your beautiful nectar indeed right this is mother's rune we're at meet the makers at the scottish gin awards winners and i've got with us montana spittle and amber mccallough is that right? That, that's yeah. correct. Yeah. Yes. I was worried about that. Uh, uh, from Eden Mill, the winners of Best Gin and Best London Dry Gin, is that correct? That is us. Congratulations. Thank well done. you. So, what makes Eden Mill Gin head and shoulders above all the rest, would you say? I guess it's just, I feel like we push the boundaries a little more. We try to be quite experimental. Like the, the first gin we brought out was our hop gin, which was made using beer hops. I think because we're still such a small business and the owner... Um, who is the brains behind everything still works very closely with us and as a team takes on all of our ideas um, and although I don't work in product development and neither does Montana we still our ideas go forward and we get to create our own flavours and really play around with different um, botanicals that's so. it so everyone in the company's listened to yeah, yeah. it's kind of the the, the the distillers you know get different samples and you know they pass them around and they really care about what your opinion is and you get to taste everything which is just oh god what a horrible obviously, day well, I know exactly it's nice because they oh actually oh god I've got to go in what you're doing today just drinking I know but they do take what you say on board and you are really listened to so then I feel like that's why we are quite creative and come out with all these maybe a bit different gins because they are just really willing to try new things so it's it just works I think because we dabble in beer and whiskey as well that it all comes together as one so we mix around with the beer and the whiskey and the gin so we have um, a gin that's aged in oak barrels we have a beer that's aged in gin bean barrels and we sort of play around with it all so, so you, you distill your gin you, uh, you distill your gin with what so what process? what's really interesting about one of our gins which won bronze for cast gin of the year is bronze bronze <laughs> We got our other gin got gold. Yeah. Our other gin got gold. <laughs> Just gin, one bronze. Yeah. <laughs> one bronze. Um, so we um, age our beer in gin bean barrels and then once we um, drain the barrel of the beer, we use the staves of that barrel to um, age our gin. So it takes on all the flavour of the beer and the whiskey and it's amazing the differences between the colours and the different tastes of that gin and the other gins that we have. So. Oh, I think my local takeaway does that with the oil. <laughs> you just fry Probably everything yeah. in the same yeah. oil. I'm like, these chips don't have to taste like prawn crackers. <laughs> it works though. Yeah, 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 exactly. All that's the flavours. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's, you're never going to get that flavour from anywhere else except yeah. that barrel as well, are you? So that's, that's, a, that's a wonderful thing. So uh, what plans have we got moving forward? Because I noticed you had uh, a new flavoured gin up there. Yeah, so our love gin liqueur. So this is the sort of first... Um, release of the new Love 
Love Gin Liqueur range um, yeah. for 2019. Um, so it's kind of based on our Love Gin, which is kind of what we're well known for. It yeah. kind of was one of the first almost pink gins to sort of come into the market. And although it's not, you know, bright, striking pink, it does have a subtle pink colour. So everyone sort of knows us for that. And then we've kind of, you know, we want to appeal to the liqueur market as well. So we've got our Love, Love Gin Liqueur. Um, raspy vanilla meringue it's just it's very different to what we've done in terms of our other gins but it's it's just such a good it's such a good liquid yeah Yeah. and i haven't tried that actually i'm going to try it upstairs i think one of the big things for us is we're um completely overhauling our distillery so our distillery tours was the number one thing to do in st andrews and if you've ever been to st andrews you've got the golf is a huge thing and yeah, for yeah. Us, oh, yeah, yeah. on TripAdvisor right. to be the number one thing number to do that's pretty impressive yeah. <laughs> I'm just so, so, it's just so, that bronze gin bringing you down there so um, we had 20,000 visitors a year but once the new distillery is back up and running which we're working really hard on this year we should be going up to 100,000 visitors a year so yes. yeah, we really are expanding um, and it's not just the tours we'll be offering different tastings um, I mean the new distillery is going to be probably triple triple yeah. the size almost um, we're going to have a cafe a bar so we really are just it's going to be exciting it's yeah. just get getting there but um, so why do you think this, why, because the Scottish gin industry is absolutely gigantic now and why do, what, what, what do you think it is that makes the Scottish gin industry stronger than uh, stronger than most others well, the statistics say that 70% of the gin in the UK comes from Scotland mm-hmm. um, and I don't know whether that's just because we're all alkies up here or yeah. <laughs> well, um, probably or what, I know um, but I think everybody I think is so passionate about local in Scotland yeah. everybody wants um, and I've lived in England and I know that um, English people don't really care if what they're drinking is from England whereas Scottish people really care um, and what the they're drinking yeah, is <laughs> from Scotland um, and I think everybody's so willing to help each other out and yeah. um, it's it's just a great industry in general and I think Scottish people really make it the industry that it is I think yeah. everyone's so friendly and willing to help with different tips and, yeah. Well, yeah, that's what I found in the gin industry yeah. it's such a nice atmosphere everyone oh, gets yeah. along with it so I've, everyone's supposed to ask you the perfect serve it's, a, it's an obvious question but Perfect serve for Aiden Mill. What would you say? That? Well, we don't really have one no, perfect got, serve. We, yeah. we basically we try to have sort of one main perfect serve per gen. Per gen. Per gen. Yeah. So we've got for your original, our, for your gold for, winner. For, for our gold winner, yeah. yeah. So yeah. Yeah. We'll we'll start start the top. Uh, <laughs> so the one that won gold twice in the same competition. Yeah. So it won gold for Scottish Gin of the Year and London, London Dry Gin of the Year. Yeah. It's beautiful, just an Indian tonic and a really big wedge of grapefruit and ice it's oh. just it doesn't need to be overcomplicated no. because the gin speaks to itself so yeah. um we have had people today drink it neat um and they're quite happy with that yeah. but for me i don't know about you montana but i would have it just with an indian tonic and a big big wedge of grapefruit see i like it with a pink grapefruit tonic oh yeah mm. i mean anything citrusy because yeah. it's got lemon peel yeah. orange peel sea butt from berry you can kind of get away with anything citrusy or classic with a citrus oh, or a garnish. What the um, hell is Seabook Thornberry? So it's a little tart berry that grows um, around yes. the coast of Fife. So again, keeping it local, um, it just adds a nice bit of flavour to it, doesn't it? It makes it really dry, which it makes it really Moorish as well, but citrusy, it just... Oh, oh it's delicious. Excellent. It delicious. So, uh, outside of your gins, your gold mm-hmm. and that one <laughs> disappointment, <laughs> what is your favourite gin other than your own? Personally, I am a big fan of Brockman's. Brockman's is a lovely I gin. love Brockman's. I love like, Brockman's. It's just, it's on the sweet side, so I probably couldn't drink too much of it, but because it's got kind of like passion fruit berries, it's just, 
that would be my favourite. It's the Brock, lilt of gins, Brock, isn't it? Brock Mint <laughs> with like just a standard tonic water, loads of berries is probably my favourite. Um, I do quite like a Hendrix as well, just because oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love cucumber. I feel like it's a classic. Yeah. And For me, I recently tried um, Bigger Gin, and Bigger Gin's is still a really small business, and the guy that yeah. owns it actually still works full-time and does the gin on the side, so he mm. is still really, really small and growing, but I tasted their gin at an event, and it was so good, and it actually reminded me of our original gin, so it was really citrusy, yeah. uh, it was amazing, and I loved how crafts they still were and his wife was with him and they make it together and Aww, their marketing's really good like for such a small business so that oh, we've been, been in, we've been in touch with bigger gin yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, they're really uh, really really good people yeah so um they are probably one of, but I'm tasting gins all the time that I'm like oh my god that's my Hills and Harbour also really yeah, good I've just Scottish tried those gin. there that was excellent I, yeah. I, love, I love the Isla Harris gin as well I was just going to say Isla Harris something else that stuff isn't it just like a, a classic yeah that's so beautiful. tasty so well that's wonderful thank you very much but uh, I understand like it's not just the gin you win an award for yeah so also beer um, and we're obviously getting into our whiskey now as well so at the Scottish Beer Awards we won um, best pale ale for our free pistons um, and then whiskey we're kind of just sort of starting to get into it and I guess this year is really big for us to sort of focus focus on the whiskey alongside the gin and beer because yeah, you've got it you've got it you've got it uh, the edge that's the reason yeah. a lot of people go into gin as well isn't it because yeah. well, well, well that's it just, you're, you're sitting waiting on it sort of maturing and then obviously you know why have all the stills you know sitting there so yeah, it's kind of of course I um, got it to gin and then yeah no whiskey I think this year is really like a big year for us mm. for whiskey um, we're bringing out a blend which is the first first whiskey that we're bringing out that's going to be mainstream and volume orientated so it'll be in a lot of bars but our single malt that's just been launched won or it um, broke a record for um, the most expensive bottle of whiskey sold at auction yeah um, for, a, for a first so it was first it went, release from a distillery yeah so it went for £7,200 <laughs> for um, one bar. <laughs> I know at auction so that was What's really it exciting panda's tears yes. yeah <laughs> So we've used, um, our owner is so smart when it comes to whiskey and he is just, and our head distiller as well, both of them have put their heads together and created something that's really, really special. And we took it to the Telegraph Whiskey Festival, so only 3,000 bottles of this has been made. And um, out of all the stands that were there, there were how many stands at the Whiskey Festival? What, 30? Um, I had numerous people come up to me saying that ours was their absolute favourite and you had really big guys there, so you had people like Redbreast. Um, people like that, and we were their favourite. Um, so well, it's a really exciting time for us. Yeah, yeah, nothing but uh, good things for Eden Mill. Well, and th- lots of whiskey tasting as well, which is good, as yeah. well as gin. Yeah, of course, yeah. Well, thank you very much, guys. I really You're appreciate welcome. that. Thank, thank you very much. Yeah. So that was Eden Mill, uh, winners of the gold and one GM for bronze. <laughs> Gin News headlines today. Life in the slow lane, motorway closure after gin spill. Good ginnings. Cricketer Ian Botham releases his own gin. And ginventive recipes. Fox Gin uses new ingredient never before used in gin. So what's all this about then? Life in the slow lane. If you listen to this podcast, you clearly, clearly like gin. And if you do like gin and if you're known for liking gin, you'll have been sent this link about 537 yeah. times this week because we were as we were yes we were there was a lorry carrying 32,000 litres of gin crashed and leaked its cargo onto the motorway closing it for quite a while it was involved in a collision 
and it began leaking. Oh. Yeah, no. Was after, everyone all right? Everyone was fine. Oh, that okay. is the good thing about this because there's a lot of jokes made about this. Mm. And you go, oh, life in the slow lane. Yeah. As we have, oh, there's people, oh, I wish I had a straw. Yeah. Hundreds died. You know, yeah. <laughs> I think it's just, what wouldn't have been making light about it if no, it been okay. the accident? So no, one, no one's no. But the road was shut between Cheshire, between Junction 19 and Nutsford and Junction 20 at Limp. Following a collision between two lorries, 5.30 on Wednesday, drivers were stationary in the cars for about four hours. Oh, no. Four hours, that's a nightmare, isn't it? Yeah. And I would, like, everyone's like, oh, I wish I had a straw. Why? Be full of bits of car. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's not ready to drink, idiots. No. Like, oh, that's a, oh, I'll suck it off the road. That's disgusting. Mm. There'll be petrol on the road, as well as car rubber. Idiots. But loads of people like, the gincident. It's a very clever when we do this, isn't mm. it? It looks like one of the one of the lorries. If you have, if you've seen the pictures of it, it, just looks like one of the lorries has gone in the back of the other one and just oh okay just spilled its stuff all. Do over we know the place. what kind of gin it was? Do you know what it doesn't say? No. But the Nantwich Police did release a hilarious statement oh. that read, "Get this: last night's major hashtag gincident mm. was on the rocks for a while. Eh? get it. But after plenty shaking and even more stirring." The M6 is back open. Tanqueray, no one was seriously injured, and everything's now been swept away. I quite like, <laughs> well, that. like swept, away. <laughs> swept away is a good one. Yeah. Well done, Nantwich Police. Uh, don't rest us, and if you want to appear on the show, then uh, why? Nothing to do with gin. <laughs> <laughs> so that was that was crazy. I wondered, like thirty-two thousand liters. That, if that was a craft gin, a little distillery, thirty-two thousand liters is going to be absolute nightmarish for them, isn't mm. it? So, good Jennings, what's this all about? Ian Botham, who has actually released wine. Oh. Do you remember, right, now, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to drink a wine that has been made and endorsed by someone that used to have that mullet. No. No, do you remember that mullet? I do remember that mullet. His nickname was Beefy as well, which makes us a bit weird. Yeah. Beefy. Yeah, Mm. why was it Beefy? I don't know. You know, I've never known that. No. Never known why someone would call him Beefy. So yeah, but he's made um, he's made wine before. I don't think I'd mm. no. So what's I don't this? like celebrity endorsement. Like that. I mean, the only like, the people who get into gin like it's it's really weird to pick these celebrities again. Ian Botham and Ian Beale from EastEnders. Yeah, and who was the chap we had the other cricketer last week, the week before? There was another chap. I can't remember his name now. Sorry, mate. Yeah, so about that. Sorry. But a lot of yeah, a lot of sports people are doing it these days. Yeah. Uh, then you got the then you got the ones that are, I mean, there's Downtown Abbey gin just being released. Downtown Abbey. Downtown. That's that's how I see it, and that's how it's staying. <laughs> and um, Peaky Blinders gin. Oh uh, yeah. It's all these. T- what, what's next? Starsky and Hutch gin. What's well, about our day, Matthew? Jesus. Knight Rider gin. I'd buy that. Again, dated reference. The young ones gin. Wow. Um, Grange Hill, the, the original one where the sausage came in from the side. Yeah. <laughs> Why were they alcohol? It's a school program. But uh, yeah, good, well, good luck, both of them. Uh, guess what he's called it though? Beefy Jane. No. What? Both them. Right, right, good, See? good, 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 yeah. good choice. Yeah. <sighs> the both of twenty-two yards London gin is set to go on the shelf in November. Drives its name from the twenty-two yard length of a cricket pitch. Clever. Mm-hmm. And nod to the 1,700 wickets taken by Botham during his professional cricket Wow, career. that is impressive. Yeah, he's an impressive, um, he's an impressive cricketer. Sir Ian said the extension of gin was a natural progression for his wine portfolio, as gin had always been his favourite drink. Oh. First and foremost, I like gin. Good one. <laughs> <laughs> if, 
filled that articulate just and there was many fascinating gins out there as there are wines when i travel the world with the wine which i have been doing a lot of my cleansing tipple is a gin and tonic. Right. The idea started as a project with his family, and uh, since 2016, he's run a mobile bar and events business called really? Fancy a Tipple. Okay. Ginventive recipes. Fox Gin launches a first of its kind gin with an ingredient that no other gin, it claims no other gin has used, the honeyberry. Really? Apparently, it's described as a cross between gooseberry and blueberry. Never think? heard of it. Never. It's a East Yorkshire gin maker, uh, and it's Fox Gins, founded by Amy Toomey and Oliver Beniston earlier this year. It's got rave reviews. It's doing very well for itself. Well done to them. Mm. Uh, it's unveiled a new innovative honeyberry gin, something the pair believe not on the manufacturers are doing. That's oh, good. good on them. We'll yep. have to give give that a try. The Honeyberries is sourced from a farm in East Yorkshire. Uh, she explained how the new product came about. She said, uh, when we launched the business and the story appeared in the paper, a farmer approached us who grows honeyberries. He said he considered going into gin in the past, but decided not to pursue that line. We went down to the farm and tried the berries and decided our new gin should be a honeyberry blend. When we launched it in Barnby Fields Barns near Pocklington, it just went crazy. And we're the only people in the country doing honeyberry gin. We know of one other maker, but they're in Scotland. Ah, I see. Not the first, are you? Okay. Well, they still, still distill everything in their own home. Which I quite like. Yeah, that's nice. The taste is actually quite tart, and people have been surprised when they drink it because they expect it to be sweet. Yeah, you wouldn't. Honey. Honeyberry. Yeah. Don't call it honeyberry then, call it tart berry. Yeah. Call it. berry. Yeah. That's what I'd call it. That's probably why I've not been asked to name it. Right to the Royal Society. Dear Royal Society. <laughs> I know you've called it honeyberry, but would you consider. <laughs> don't know how I'd spell that. No. Just a symbol. For like just, just, just right. kiss noise, kiss noise, yeah. kiss noise. Yeah, not a problem. Cool. Well, that's this week's uh, gin news. Right, well, that's the end of another episode. Hope you enjoyed it. Thank you very, very much for joining us. Yes, thanks to Eden Mill. Thanks to Hal for the gin that provided us the weirdest description of any gin ever. Chaotic first section. Mad section. Sorry about that. And hope you'll join us again next time. Mother's Room Podcast was written and performed by Matthew Reed and Sarah Dunley. Theme tune written and performed by Holly Jazz Kotsier.